Good morning. We're back for another episode of the Riddles in the Dark podcast. This is a bit of a strange episode. We're recording it in advance because I will be uh, on vacation during the week when we would normally do it live and record it. So this one's been in advance. Um, this week's episode will be focused on Thorin Oakenshield, finally. Probably should have started with him since, she's at, since he's at the center of The Hobbit, but there's just so many you know, fascinating things to discuss. Um, anyway, let's get right to it. I'm your co-host, Dave Kale, and let me introduce the Tolkien professor, Corey Olson. Good morning. Okay, so uh, one of the things that I wanted to address first here today is actually a, uh, a comment that uh, a listener made on my Facebook page just this morning, um, which I think brings up a uh, <laughs> sort of a, a, a perfectly appropriate comment on uh, my gloom about the Battle of, of Azanul Bazaar in the last episode. Uh, Gloria Cole says, Professor, it sounds like you're preparing yourself for Peter Jackson to kick you in the teeth with this movie. And uh, I, I realize that when I'm talking about <laughs> scenes like the Battle of Azanul Bazaar, for which I have so much affection, and thinking about them not being included in the film, I, you know, I, I can certainly sound like, uh, you know, uh, like a puppy who's just been kicked. But uh, I, I guess the main thing I would want to say about this is. My own feelings about this, it's not that I am pessimistic about the films. Um, the, the, the trailer I thought was, in general, my, my general response to the trailer is that I thought it was very encouraging. Um, and I have actually pretty high expectations for the films. But the thing that I always have to keep, uh, to try to keep in mind for myself is that, is to try to prevent myself from simply fantasizing that the film is going to be all of my favorite parts of the book put on the screen exactly as I've always imagined them, which is, of <laughs> course, the temptation. Um, as, uh, as of course, Dave, you are you're rightly accusing me of uh, walking a little too close to that line in our first two predictions, or rather at least being quite optimistic uh, that what I want to see will appear in the films. So, you know, I am trying to temper my own expression of what I, you know, what I would really like to see not even necessarily what I think would make a great movie, but what I would really like to see on screen and uh, and with what I actually think will probably happen. So, you know, the Battle of Azanul Bazaar is a great instance of something which I think would be cool and I think it would be awesome, but I am not at all confident that they're going to do it. Um, so, you know, so my, my actual prediction certainly differs from my uh, my my kind of private desire. But the, but again, that's that's this is just in the in the in the spirit of tempering my expectations and uh, uh, and <laughs> not setting myself up for disappointment. I don't. Yeah, I didn't. I don't recall that episode being particularly. Um, uh negative or anything like that maybe maybe i don't know if that person listened to it or maybe they just saw the description where we described our uh the <laughs> what is it the the, the shadow, shadow and the, the threat, threat growing, growing our, our sleep yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes that, that that was okay. That sounds a little negative, I guess. But uh... <laughs> well, we we were kind of implicitly uh, paralleling the prospect of the of the conflation of the Battle of Azanul Bazaar mm-hmm. with the Battle of Five Armies with yes. the regrowth of the Shadow of Sauron. So, Correct. Uh, yes, that's you know, true. okay, okay, maybe that's a little alarmist, but um, <laughs> but but no, I mean, you know, I, like I said, it was, you know, the the prospect is a sober one of uh, of that kind of conflation. I think there are good things that could be done with it in some ways, but, mm-hmm. um, but you know, well, I, I still... 
I think the the point of our our, our conversation last time was not we think Peter Jackson's going to screw this thing up by conflating these two battles. It was rather, we can't imagine a reasonable way to add this into the film. We think that probably it has to be conflated. So we weren't, to the extent that we were sort of, uh, to the extent that we were speculating that the battles would be conflated and that we would be disappointed, we weren't blaming Peter Jackson or the New Zealand filmmakers. We were saying, this just seems like this is a hard thing to do because remember, I remember you. We were making the comment that uh, there was simply too much epic stuff to be too much into, epic stuff. Yes. The Hobbit, chock full. Can't squeeze all the epicness of the Hobbit into two films. That's right. That's the problem. <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, yeah, yeah. There was one comment. I, I can't remember if this was on your Facebook page or maybe on. Um, uh, the Mythgard page. There's too many places for people to comment. Well, how do we keep it all straight? Okay, I can't find it. But somebody somewhere, I don't remember who it was, <laughs> um, mentioned the possibility that, um, oh, it's Trish Lambert on your Facebook page. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. Um, that, because that, if you recall, one of the reasons that we speculated that they would be um, uh, conflated was that we thought there was room only for one sort of epic flashback thingy at the beginning of the of the film. You know that either we would get the Battle of Azanulbazar, laying the groundwork for the dwarves and the goblins hating each other, uh, along with maybe Thor's death, things like that, or we would get Smog running them out of uh, the Lonely Mountain. Um, and uh, Trish Lambert pointed out that. Uh, you could get both if you did one for each film, sort of similar to how the Fellowship of the Ring began with the with the the War of the Last Alliance, and then I think it's I think it's Return of the King begins with the sort of the the, the tale of Smeagol. Yes. So you that's a possibility. Um, no, I, I mean, I'm still not sure, but that's a possibility. Yeah, because I mean, trying to think of how that would actually work. I mean, there's awkwardness to overcome with either option. That is, say you do put the Smaug sequence at the beginning of the first film and uh, as an old bazaar at the beginning of the second film. Well, then you're interrupting in a sense like, okay, the story is halfway over. Now, by the way, let's jump back several hundred years for an ancient historical battle, um, which is – it's not impossible to do, but there's a, there's a challenge there, certainly, um, to, to sort of make that fit. The 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 Smeagol flashback um, at the beginning of the Return of the King is different because it is more obviously relevant <clears throat> to you know the character right there. I mean, you've got Gollum, and um, and that's that's kind of much clearer the relevance of it. You know, as an old bazaar would be challenging. You could even theoretically do it the other way and have the flashback to Smaug be at the beginning of the second film so as to set up the all of the Smaug business that's going to be in film number two. But it's hard to see it's hard to see not getting that at the beginning of the first film so as to frame the whole, you know, purpose of the quest. But so I mean I do think that that's a possibility. Um you know I, I that's um let me put it this way. That is the most rational grounds for optimism that I've heard, yes. <laughs> that, the, that the Battle of Azanul Bazaar will, yes. will happen. I, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, to, I will give it that much. To add to that, Uncommon Fan on Twitter point out that maybe even if they show any of the, the smog attack, um, uh, they probably 
they probably won't show Smaug on screen. And maybe that's a reason to believe that they won't show uh, the Smaug attack on screen. That's an interesting point that they basically don't, they won't want to um, uh, tip their hand in terms of how Smaug's um, uh, being uh, done on screen. Or, and maybe they won't even have finished the Smaug sequences by the time the first movie's re- released. So that's an interesting notion, too. Now, he points out you could still do the Smaug attack, you just wouldn't show the dragon. You would just show dwarves fleeing uh, <laughs> fire and glowing halls and whatnot. Um, that's another yeah. interesting idea. Yeah, and I have to say, I love that idea. Love it. Um, I, I, like, I, I would seriously hope that they would do it that way. I mean, we talked before when we were discussing Thror um, that I, I mean, I think that there are some serious challenges to doing uh, to doing a full epic um, attack on Erebor sequence on screen. Um, you know how you depict that. I mean, it's not that I think it's impossible, but I think it would be it would be challenging. But the thing that I really love about uh, the uncommon the uncommon fans' uh, suggestion is that it's very it picks up, I think, uh, very well on the song that the dwarves sing um, in Bilbo's Hall, the one that, of course, they're singing in the trailer. Um, one of the things that I uh, that I particularly notice in the song is when they're singing about Smaug and Smaug's attack, they don't ever, they never name him in the song and they, they very, they don't, they, they don't even really talk about him. Uh, that is, they, they never actually talk about the dragon. They talk about the effect that he has on the mountain. The pines were roaring on the height. The winds were moaning in the night. The fire was red. It flaming spread. The trees like torches blazed with light. Of course, that's about the attack of the dragon, but it doesn't describe the attack of the dragon. It just describes what happens. And then, uh, you know, uh, in the next stanza, the bells were ringing in the dale, and men looked up with faces pale. And what do they see? We're never told. The dragon's ire, more fierce than fire, laid low their towers and houses frail. That refers to what happens, but note it's not a description. The dragon's ire. That is, we're talking about the the rage of the dragon, but still not describing the dragon or naming him or talking about what he's doing. Um, And then again, in the next stanza, the mountains smoked beneath the moon. The dwarves, they heard the tramp of doom. They fled their hall to dying fall beneath his feet, beneath the moon. And again, we have like the disembodied feet of Smaug and the tramp of doom. But, you know, it's like they're 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 kind of going around the edges of Smaug and never really showing him and never really describing him Um, at my my own reading of that, by the way, is that, you know, this is like the dwarves not even wanting to uh, kind of give him the honor of uh, of being the hero of the attack on the Lonely Mountain story. Um, They want to tell the story of the kind of the consequences, you know, the people who suffered from him uh, and what he did. And they do want to remember what he did, but they don't want to, uh, you know, tell tell. They don't want to make Smaug himself the central figure of that story. So similar to like Gondor really cool. and Sauron, the, the right. kind of the same orientation there. Right, 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 exactly. So, so you know, so that could be really that would be really cool if they kind of picked up on that same kind of thing and didn't have. Um, not that I think that would necessarily be their motivation, but. Um, but to have you know that same sort of thing, the, the effects of the dragons coming, the the you know trees on fire and um, you know flames spreading and houses burning and people screaming, 
but no dragon. Um, that would be, I think, very much, or like dragon body parts, you know, like we see with the feet um, in that third <laughs> stanza that I read. So, I, I, you know, I think that uh, that would be very cool. But we'll see. Uh, we'll see if it actually occurs. Interesting. Yeah, that's uh, – I think – I'm not sure – I certainly don't think that the Battle of Azanolbazar flashback, if there is one, will be in the second film. If they do Smaug in the first one, I don't think they'll do the Battle of Azanolbazar in the second one, just because I don't think we'll start with a battle and end with a battle. I mean, I, I, I uh, you know, they they had the same kinds of issues with um, with Harry Potter Deathly Hallows. We were talking about this yesterday in terms of the split right. of the film, which we will talk about a future episode. But we think yeah. that looking at Harry Potter Deathly Hallows is an, is a great model because you get some of the same kind of pacing issues, and you also have this sort of you have a lot of skirmishes and battles um, throughout the uh, throughout the Harry Potter series, and particularly you have the the Death Eaters attacking um, Hogwarts at the end of the sixth book, and then you have the battle at Hogwarts at the end of the seventh. And they specifically left that battle out of um, of uh, Half Blood Prince, the film version, because they were worried that it would um, uh, I don't know I guess uh, sort of that it would it would make the battle at the end of Deathly Hallows even more anticlimactic. They didn't want to sort of spoil the whole notion of a even more anticlimactic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> little uh, little commentary slid in there. Yeah, actually, I didn't mean that because the battle the battle was actually one of the better parts of that film. One of the parts of the film I actually enjoyed. <laughs> and now we're moving on to further commentary. All yes. right, <laughs> but uh, so so, oh, but I don't think we'll. I think if we're going to see the battle of Azanobazar, we're going to see it in the first film, and. Um, but I don't think they'll move Smog to the second film either, because the the film really is at least early on about going and getting him. the 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 Battle of Five Armies is kind of it's supposed to be kind of a surprise. We're not supposed right. to anticipate that there's going to be a. It'll be weird watching the movie anticipating that, but we're not supposed to anticipate it. That's supposed to be we're supposed to be worried that they're going to come to blows, and then the goblins come out, you catastrophe, right? So right, right, exactly. I don't know. It's it's a it's a. I, I agree that uh, Trisha's comment. And uh, is is the most rational grounds for optimism, but I'm I, I'm I, 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 I don't know. Nah, I, well, I don't know. I just don't know how it's going to work. It'll be interesting to see. I what I'm holding out for is that they'll film Battle of Azanolbazar sequences, and even if they can't fit them in, they'll just glom them on in the special features. Yeah, yeah. There's there's always that. Of course, is the most irrational grounds for optimism. You know, the like, but maybe it'll be in the extended edition. Yes. Uh, you know, that maybe we'll just be able do to a, tell ourselves about for anything. Really. Maybe we'll just do a one hour special, <laughs> right? Called the Battle of Azanulbazar. <laughs> maybe, <Yes>. maybe. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Well, we should uh, we should probably get to our main topic of the day. Yes. Uh, and today we are uh, we are moving on to Thorin himself, uh, as uh, as Dave said before. And you know the the two primary things that I'm really interested to think about about Thorin um, are actually kind of uh, well more intangible things. That is not exactly specific moments. Um, you know, I mean, I have a couple of those that I'm interested in, but but kind of more general characterization issues about Thorin, how they're going to handle him. 
in a sense. Um, and the two things that I think are of particular interest are Thorin at the beginning, um, how Thorin handles, you know, how Thorin handles himself at the, in, in the Unexpected Party and his relationship with Bilbo and with Gandalf. And then the end, how uh, the film is going to handle the whole uh, dragon sickness, Thorin becoming obsessed with the gold um, issue. Um, and so th- those things are, I think, to me, the most interesting questions about to think about about Thorin and what they're going to be what they're going to be doing with him. But for the first one, of course, uh, this is another place that is for the the issue of Thorin at the beginning of the story. Um, This is another place where, once again, we go to the quest of Erebor because that's obviously... This is one thing which I think has been made most clear by the trailer, um, is that that exchange um, between Gandalf and Thorin, which clearly... I think indicates that they are going in the quest of Erebor direction there with, uh, with, with Gandalf and Thorin. So we wanted to start off by kind of reviewing some of that quest of Erebor stuff and, and the, 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 the situation that Tolkien was in when he was going back and looking at this stuff after the fact, you know, we've talked before about Appendix A and the quest of Erebor and how this is all basically sort of, uh, you know, retconning the Hobbit that, that Tolkien was doing after the Lord of the Rings. Um, but, uh, so uh, David, you had just mentioned that you had been rereading the quest of Erebor and had been really struck by some things there. What, what were the stuff that you were, that you were really noticing this last time you were reading it? Well, the most interesting thing to me that I don't think I'd even noticed, um, uh, last time I read it, like the the last few times I've read Quest of Erebor, reading through um, Unfinished Tales, I certainly noticed that that a lot of things are presented differently or set up differently. Um, in particular, that 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 Thorin's reaction to Bilbo is so different, as you were mentioning, that he he's quite skeptical. Gandalf Gandalf describes him as uh, let's see here, um, let's see. Thorn was contemptuous and suspicious. He is soft, he snorted. Soft as the mud of his shire and silly. His mother died too soon. You are playing some crooked game of your own, Master Gandalf. I am sure that you have other purposes than helping me. And uh, and he's just... You don't see much, if any of that, in the actual... In the in the Hobbit text proper of, of Thorn being contemptuous, of Thorn being reluctant to take Bilbo along. He, he maybe doesn't seem overly enthusiastic in The Hobbit, but he certainly doesn't put up any kind of resistance. He seems he seems to have accepted it at the time of the, you know, when we're in the text that we read in The Hobbit. Um, and the interesting thing to me is I, the first few times I'd read this, I was sort of imagining it as as, as Tolkien kind of um, uh, just adding some, some extra context or, um, or, or, or maybe trying to change The Hobbit. But uh, this time around I noticed some commentary from Gandalf at the beginning when he's talking to Frodo and Gimli and the, and whoever else is listening, um, that, uh, that he's, he's Tolkien sort of using this whole frame thing. The fact that Bilbo is telling the story, uh, to, to retcon a little bit, um, Mm -hmm. you know, that he's taking advantage of that by pointing out that, that, you know, that he isn't actually changing the story, 
that he's going back to, well, that's Bilbo telling the story again. Of course, Bilbo didn't realize uh, or maybe didn't notice that Thorne was so upset and was totally mad at Gandalf for, for pulling this prank on him and bringing him to this fat hobbit's hole. You know, like right. we don't we don't see much of that in The Hobbit. But in this, it's totally presenting it as Thorne's like, what the heck? Is this a joke? <laughs> There's no way this guy's a burglar who's going to do any of the things that you said. And that he eventually right. goes along with it, not because he believes uh, that Bilbo really is going to be useful, but just kind of almost, you know, because Gandalf basically threatens him. He right. tells him two things. One, he says, I have foresight on me. Uh, and I'm telling you right now, if you don't take him, you're not going to succeed. And two, he says, furthermore, if you want anything from me ever again down the road, you'd better do this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, you know, Gandalf, it's true. In the quest of Erebor, uh, Gandalf goes all in. <laughs> you know, for, for in his support of Bilbo. Now, of course, we can see that dynamic in the book as well. He is he's the one who is Bilbo's champion and mm-hmm. who has kind of most at stake and who has, uh, you know, even in chapter one of The Hobbit, clearly kind of staked his own reputation on on Bilbo um, and does threaten Thorin. I mean, this is the this is the beautiful thing about so much of of Tolkien's uh retroactive stuff. You know, when he's when he's assimilating the Hobbit story into the Lord of the Rings world, when he's uh putting things in frames the way that he does, um he uh he does a he does a fantastic job of taking the seeds that were already there. Um you know, so like you, you compare for instance the scene that you were just describing from uh, from the quest of Erebor, and you compare it with a comment that Gandalf does make in the first chapter of The Hobbit, where he says, "You know, if I you know I, I say he's a burglar, and if I say he's a burglar, then a burglar he is or will be when the time comes. And if you don't think so, then you can go back to digging coal." Um, you know, so like he gets you know pretty stern with the dwarves. He 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 stakes his own reputation on it, mm-hmm. but it's nothing near to the extent that we get there. Um, uh, same thing with. With Thorin. Thorin in chapter one of The Hobbit is indeed, you know, he's described as very haughty. Um, and we can't really tell, of course, because we've just met Thorin. Is this just how he normally is? You know, like, is he just like an arrogant, stuck up jerk in general, um, which is always possible? Or is he, um, you know, or, or is this, you know, or is this a reaction to Bilbo? We do get, of course, the famous overheard conversation. That, that is the conversation that Bilbo overhears um, about is he any good? Now it's Glowin, not Thorin, saying that. Um, but uh, you know, will he do? So we know that the dwarves are thinking this, um, and we know that Thorin does look down on Bilbo. Thorin, uh, there's you know the the one moment where uh, Thorin shows this most clearly, and I take this as a as a real smack at Gandalf actually. Um, is right near the end of the unexpected party um, when he uh, he turns um, let's see where he turns to Bilbo this is before he gives his 
Let's see. Okay, yes. Um, sorry, I'm looking at a different edition of The Hobbit than the one I use for my book, so I don't know the pages by heart. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, Gandalf has just finished his explanation. That is why I settled on burglary, especially when I remembered the existence of a side door. And here is our little Bilbo Baggins, the burglar, the chosen and selected burglar. So now let's get on and make some plans. And then Thorin says, very well then, supposing the burglar expert gives us some ideas or suggestions. He turned with mock politeness to Bilbo. And that, I think, he's not just mocking Bilbo. He's mocking Gandalf, right? Gandalf has just finished saying he is the chosen and selected burglar. And Thorin's like, well, then let's hear some suggestions from the burglar expert. Um so I think that we can see the tension between Thorin and Gandalf there. We can see his mocking of Bilbo, his low opinion of Bilbo. But the, to me, the biggest question that's unanswered, the biggest thing which we see in the quest of Erebor that we don't get at all in chapter one of The Hobbit is the fact that Gandalf really has to persuade Thorin. That is the answer to the question, if Thorin thinks so little of Bilbo as he seems to do, and frankly, obviously has reason to do, uh, why does he agree to go at all? You know, what we don't get is from the quest of Erebor, the late night conversation between Gandalf and Thorin after Bilbo is asleep, when uh, Gandalf is saying the things that you're quoting from before about the foresight being on him and everything else. Mm -hmm. um, that, that that conversation was supposed to have happened in one version of the quest of Erebor um, after Bilbo was in bed. Now, you know, in chapter one of The Hobbit, remember Bilbo over here at the very end of chapter one of The Hobbit, Bilbo overhears Thorin singing a refrain uh, of the uh, of the We Must Away Our Break of Day song um, in the next room. So Thorin is presumably in bed already. Now, I guess, you know, whatever, he could have gotten up and had a conversation with Gandalf, but that certainly doesn't, you know, we, we have absolutely no indication in The Hobbit that that happened. Um, of course, that's perfectly comfortable within the frame of the later story because Gandalf says, well, of course, Bilbo didn't know anything about it. He was asleep. So that's why that's why there's no reference to it in The Hobbit. Um, but again, the point is, in The Hobbit, the question of, if Thorin is so uncomfortable, why does he go along anyway? Why does he submit to Gandalf's authority? You know, so, okay, so Gandalf says, you know, I say he's a burglar, you know, a burglar he is. Well, why doesn't Thorin say, look, you're obviously wrong, forget you. Um, you know, we'd, and the quest of Erebor answers that question, but... But the Hobbit doesn't answer that question. Um, it, it never even seems to invite the question. And that seems to me one of the things, um, if you're th you know, thinking about this part of the quest of Erebor from a sort of retcon perspective, um, uh, that it, for people not f familiar with the term, that means retroactive consistency. You know, when you're going back and fitting something into a story you've already written, Tolkien did this constantly. Um, with all of his different stories and, and was fantastic at it. Tolkien is like the best retconner I know. Um, and anyway, so the, his, his primary act of retcon there was to explain, to give a kind of external consistency to why this story happens in the first place. Um, you know, you have all of these sort of strange and discordant elements. There doesn't seem to be based on Bilbo's performance in chapter one of the Hobbit. There seems we, we are given, reasons the story holds together sort of internally for Bilbo. That's the primary emphasis of chapter one. We're seeing what's going on in Bilbo's mind. These dwarves come into his, uh, into his home and he's all bewildered and bewildered and uh, what's going to happen in his Tookish side and his Baggins side kind of struggling against each other and then the Took side wins. So we can see internally how this all sort of fits 
for Bilbo. But we can't see how it all fits for Thorin. Um, you know, like, what, what, why, from his perspective, is he going through with it? That question doesn't even seem to get implicitly asked, I think, uh, in the actual Hobbit narrative. And that's, therefore, the question that he comes back to in the quest of Erebor. And getting back to the films, then, it's clear from the preview that Thorin and Gandalf are going to be having that kind of a conversation. Is it going to go quite the same way as in the quest of Erebor? Uh, I'm not sure. But what I would expect to come from that is that I would expect to see, you know, thinking with as character focused as movies tend to be and as movie makers tend to think, um, I would expect to see a lot of Bilbo Thorin drama. Um, you know, the sort of the the evolving relationship between them. Okay, the the it's 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 kind of implicit in uh in the Hobbit itself. We see these moments. Like you know, we've got that moment that I just quoted, the mock politeness thing in chapter one. Um we get another moment um you know after uh, far down the road when uh, when Bilbo is going to rescue them from the Elven King's prison and, you know, Bilbo commends him is like, well, I see you do make a fine burglar, right? Um, and then culminating in the moment when Thorin is going to chuck him off the wall uh, when uh, Bilbo reveals that he gave the Arkenstone uh, to Bard. You know, so we can see, you know, that there there are these dynamics of them personally. And then, of course, no, that's not the culmination. The real culmination, then, of course, is at Thorin's deathbed. So, you know, the the kind of protracted drama of the relationship between Bilbo and Thorin is already kind of potentially in place. It's an easy thing for them to do, but they're going to have to do a lot of work, especially in the front half, uh, in really building that relationship. And that's what I would kind of expect uh, to see there. But it's going to be really fascinating to see how they do that. That's certainly true, um, and uh, and it is. I I, I do want to emphasize the the sort of because I think there might be a lot of Tolkien. Uh, so we're we're in an interesting situation with the Hobbit here, um, where uh, you know with Lord of the Rings, a lot of the sort of changes and adjustments and stuff they made to adapt things to screen were were just that and weren't necessarily right. drawing on any external um, materials. I think a lot of the changes. I'm sure they're going to make changes to the Hobbit that are specifically designed just for for um, uh, translating it to film. But also a lot of the changes they're going to make are going to be based on incorporating in all this external material. And I think this is this is definitely going to be one of the significant ones. This relationship mm-hmm. between Thorin and Bilbo, and Thorin and Gandalf, and a lot of this early early interactions between Thorin and Gandalf. And so uh, um, for the for our purest readers out there who I'm sure most of them will have read this, just want to, you know, before, as you prepare for watching this, um, go read some of these external materials, read yes. The Unfinished Tales, read Appendix A and all that, uh, uh, before, so that when you go watch the film, you don't start freaking out and saying, oh my God, they changed this, they changed that, they made up all this stuff and added it, and it's actually... Right. I, I, you're right. Looking at the trailer, it really looks like they're drawing heavily on some of these external materials. Yeah, no, um, I'm, I'm quite convinced of that. And the same stuff with the, the same thing with the whole like White Council business, mm-hmm. um, and the, and uh, you know, Galadriel's obvious role in this mm-hmm. film, um, which I know is, is another thing which sort of puzzles. Uh, a lot of Tolkien fans at first, um, <laughs> but but I mean it makes it makes it makes sense. Um, 
Uh, yep. It does because that's you know you've got a pretty major story going on at the same time as the Hobbit, which is uh, the conflict between the White Council and then and Sauron. So, um, so no, absolutely, I think that that that's that is a really important thing to do. Now, of course, this is not to say that they're you know as you said that they're not going to make all these other changes anyway, um, or even that they're going to adapt from the Quest of Erebor and Appendix A in you know all like very direct and and very and very sort of simple and linear ways um but you know one thing i would add to one of the biggest difficulties and this is kind of this is something that's really easy to take for for granted is the fact that you have to import the lord of the rings gandalf into the hobbit um that's really more challenging than i think people assume i mean when you know one reaction um, you know, it's like, oh, we're going to do a film version of The Hobbit. Well, we've got Gandalf. Oh, goody. Let's get Ian McKellen back, and, and we've got, you know, we've got more Gandalf time. That's fantastic. Yes, yes, that's true. But one thing that I think is perfectly clear, if you read The Hobbit carefully, Gandalf in The Hobbit is not the same as Gandalf in The Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's he changes a lot. Like, the concept of the character and the concept of what wizards are and how powerful they are and their role in the world, these things are very different in The Lord of the Rings than they are in The Hobbit. So... I, you know, you just you can't just equate the two. Gandalf and the stuff he does and the stuff he says in The Hobbit, um, it, it's it's just it's 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 different. He would he, there are many times he he does things that he wouldn't do, um, or sort of says things that he wouldn't say. Um, it just it's it's not the same person. So just to say now, but of course from the film perspective, it has to be. I mean, you're going to have Ian McKellen in his Lord of the Rings costume, uh, you know, at least for the for the for the first part, right. um, on screen the whole time. So, you know, you've got the Lord of the Rings Gandalf now, just as Tolkien had. And in a sense, like it, if I had to give, if, if I had to give a like one sentence summary of the Quest of Erebor, it would be the Lord of the Rings Gandalf retells the Hobbit story. Um, and that's one of the main things that we can see. The way that Gandalf as narrator in the Quest of Erebor retells the story is actually excellent, an excellent illustration of the difference between Lord of the Rings Gandalf and Hobbit Gandalf. Mm-hmm. The Hobbit Gandalf just is not that clued in. He doesn't have a really big picture. He doesn't know what's going on, and he's not that powerful. Um, so even just the fact of, like, we've got a put Ian McKellen in his gray robes that is we have to get the we have to get the Lord of the Rings Gandalf in the Hobbit story is already a, a really major adaptation that they're having to make so again thinking about the Thorin question and how they do Thorin and Bilbo how they do Thorin Bilbo and Gandalf as a yeah. kind of you know uh, you know triangle there is going to be really complicated and it's going to require a lot of adaptation they're not going to be able to just do it like right. it's done in the book at all Sounds like we need to uh, spend a whole episode or two on uh, Gandalf down the on road. On Gandalf, yeah, we certainly yeah, th- do. There are there are a lot of things, particularly from Unfinished Tales, that I would I would like to talk about because it, it's it, it, you're right. I I hadn't really thought of it in terms of the Lord of the Rings Gandalf versus Hobbit Gandalf, but certainly the 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 Quest of Erebor really recasts this story. It makes it easy, you know. I mean, like the whole thing as he recounts it all boils down to what to do about uh you know Sauron obviously the necromancer Sauron and what do we do about him and right. and right. Uh, and there's just none of that in the hobbit no. that you really see you know it's like oh yeah i just thought you'd like to go on this fun adventure and 
And right. there's all right. these interactions with Bilbo from earlier where, where it actually seemed like he would be the right person to send on this. So I think that's something we'll have to address later, yes. but, but let's not yes. spoil it too much. Yep, yep. Um, I agree. I what what else do we want to talk about, uh, well, Thorin? Well, I'm, I'm thinking towards towards the well towards the end with Thorin. One other sort of short thing along the way, though. Again, this is another thing we're going to talk about uh, at another time. Is uh, sort of the general issue of Thorin's incompetence. Um, <laughs> he has some pretty good moments. Uh, he comes off reasonably well in the troll encounter, for instance. Um, <clears throat> you know, like he manages to actually fight off the trolls successfully for a little while. Um, and uh, even the the speech he makes, uh, you know, before he comes into the clearing, you know, who's been knocking my people about is still like, you know, he's got some stature there in making that that uh, that speech doesn't have any weapons, apparently, but he, you know, has some stature. Uh, this is why he has to pick up a stick from the fire to fight the trolls with. But anyway, um so you know he 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 has kind of a moment, and he has my favorite Thorin leadership moment of the whole book. Okay, no second favorite. Battle of Five Armies, of course, has to be number one. But but my favorite, other than the Battle of Five Armies, is um, when the dragon is coming to attack their camp, and everyone's like, you know, Bombers, you know, uh, Bifer and, and Bomber are down in the valley. They will be killed. And all the other dwarves are just in despair. We can do nothing, they say. And Thorin <laughs> says, nonsense. Uh, and uh, he starts giving orders. And my favorite moment is he says, you know, Feely and Keely and Balin and Bilbo, get into the tunnel. The dragon shan't have all of us, he says. And that's just like, that. that's, you know, there we go. Now we see Thorin actually as a leader making decisions and being self-sacrificial and it's, you know, it's, that's good stuff right there. But also a whole bunch of the time he looks like a git, um, as do all of the dwarves. Um, so, you know, again, that will be another thing that will be interesting, kind of the general question of exactly how competent will Thorin be? How much growth will he have? Obviously, they're going to give his character some kind of trajectory. I say obviously because they went out of their way, way out of their way to do that in the Lord of the Rings films, um, like with Aragorn, for instance. So if Thorin is kind of in the Aragorn place in this film, which in some ways he seems to be, uh, I am quite sure they're going to give his character you know, uh, some kind of a coherent character arc um even in the book he's got one so they're clearly going to develop that and i'm i'm kind of wondering how much growth is going to be incorporated into that is he going to be sort of uh sort of lesser and uh you know lesser in stature and lesser in competence at the beginning and improving as he goes on or is his his uh trajectory going to be completely different from that that's true that's a that's a good question with with aragorn what they had to do with him was was sort of um, uh, to kind of shrink him almost. Like, mm-hmm. like I, I would – in general, character stuff is one of my bigger complaints. Anyone that knows me and probably even yes. your, some of your listeners would know that. That, that there's just <laughs> – there's some characters that when I read through the books again and I think about what they did in the films, I'm just not very happy. Uh, and Aragorn's right. one of those. Because uh, they, in order to have sort of a you know a human kind of arc, they had to sort of make him more reluctant, less, yes. more conflicted, not as epic, um, not as put together. 
with Thorin, I don't, I don't know if they necessarily, because I mean, he that's sort of already there in the text, because he certainly doesn't strike you as a really great leader early in the book. Like Gandalf right. is leading their expedition um, right up until the edge of Mirkwood when he when he leaves them. Uh, and then Bilbo takes over pretty quickly, and Thorne doesn't yeah. really like. He makes some decisions here and there, but they're but they're never. He doesn't demonstrate great leadership, I don't think. And so um, I think that that's, and and he kind of even toward the end of the book, he doesn't he doesn't seem like a great leader until the actual um, battle with the with the goblins mm-hmm. when he comes out and he's, you know, shouting to me to me and stuff, uh, yeah. and then yeah. and then. And then he doesn't really, he, you know, his dignity, unfortunately, is really confirmed in his death. <laughs> the, like right. the fact that right. he dies well and has all these realizations is what really like nails down his character. So I think a lot of that's already there. Um, but I, what I wonder is if maybe they'll do something They'll make his arc different instead of it going from being sort of this this guy that's kind of being swept along in the current of Gandalf's um, uh, scheming to maybe making him more of a leader early on and make his arc more about um, uh, less about going from being sort of a a, a guy being tossed about on the the, the oceans of the tides of uh, fate or whatever. Make it more about him being a leader, but going in the wrong direction. You know that that he's greedy and um, and that he's right. going to be a bad king, and then he re- he's redeemed at the end. Right, right, exactly, and the and you know, and it will be interesting to see how they join those two together, and and, and then that sort of leads me to my 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 last kind of general mm-hmm. pondering about Thorin is the greedy business. How mm. prominent is the greed going to be played up in the film version? Um, I mean, clearly, there's going to be conflict. I mean, I get you have this perfect, you know, built in. Intercharacter tension between the two leaders of their company, uh, Thorin, the technical leader, and Bilbo, the de facto leader, you know, culminating on, on uh, you know, Thorin threatening to throw Bilbo down onto the rocks from the wall um, at the end. You know, so I, I can't imagine them not taking advantage of that in the films. But what role is the greed, the obsession with the dragon treasure going to be because it plays a huge role in the book. In fact, it's I, I, one of the dominant themes of the second half of the book. Um, the, you know, it turns out that the defeat of the dragon is not like the defeat of the dragon is a small deal, but the defeat of the dragon is not the focus of the end of the story. Of course, you know, as is emphasized at the beginning of chapter 15, when the dwarves and Bilbo first hear about the death of the dragon and Bilbo thinks that the adventure is properly speaking over, um, you know, but he's quite mistaken, um, as we're told. So, no, this is not the end. The end is when we reconcile the whole, uh, you know, <clears throat> Thorin becoming an actually good king and him dealing with the temptation to become Dragonish himself. Um, so, are they going to do that? Are they going to do the obsession with the treasure? And how big of a role is the obsession with the treasure going to play? Um, it's, it's, it's hard. I'm really not sure. I'm I'm not sure how to guess what they're going to do there. I mean, because it also seems sort of potentially anyway, if they're going to play up the front half, see Thorin, 
works interestingly this way in the book because he is kind of a cipher at the beginning, not a complete cipher, but we don't get that, like, I am a conflicted leader at the beginning. We don't see inside Thorin's head very much. Mm -hmm. The only times we begin to really see Thorin struggling with stuff is at the end when he's struggling with the treasure business. Mm -hmm. So if we've already gotten, you know... Richard Armitage making soulful speeches throughout uh, throughout the first film, you know, and we see him struggling with things and developing, and um, then to add a a new dimension of oh, by the way, and I'm also really tempted to now become obsessed with the gold and to put you know this to put the treasure before uh, you know the welfare of other people, including myself. Then that becomes you know potentially a kind of a complicating dynamic for the character development. Yes. Yeah, I wonder – I mean the one thing they could portray that doesn't, in my opinion, come as come across as much in the book is portray what happens with him and the treasure and the and the and his reaction to the elves and the men and stuff as an actual fall. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean this is – <clears throat> like I say, it's clearly one of the things that The Hobbit as a book is really interested in, especially in the second half. And this is a thing which is, you know, here Tolkien is picking up on, uh, on, on, you know, major themes that he was really interested in. Beowulf is very interested in this question. I mean, the dragon at the end of Beowulf um, is, you know, very much involved with this idea of our relationship to treasure and how, uh, you know, what is the proper attitude you know the correct attitude to have towards wealth and things like that i mean the the the, the dragon sequence in beowulf is is clearly very interested in that um you know and we don't just need uh tolkien's uh own scholarship on beowulf to 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 show us how interested tolkien was in this um you know this of course is i think the primary usefulness of noticing the Beowulf reference in The Hobbit. That is when Bilbo sneaks in and steals the golden cup. That's a scene that's taken straight well, okay, not quite straight, but uh, adapted very closely from Beowulf, where uh, a, a, a small thief sneaks into a dragon's lair and steals a golden-handed cup uh, a two-handed golden cup and after he does, the dragon wakes up and realizes that it's gone and gets furiously angry and goes out and sets fire to the local village and starts destroying things. Um, so that's uh, you know that 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 sequence is obviously um, that that is the sequence in the Hobbit obviously has Beowulf in mind um, and and so thinking about what's going on there in the Beowulf dragon sequence and what's going on in the in the in the larger Hobbit dragon sequence I mean larger because larger than just Smaug himself um, the dragon sequence doesn't really end until the Battle of Five Armies Thorin is the continuation of the dragon sequence. Um, so like I say, it's a major interest in the book. Are they going to do it? And I'm not sure. I don't know. I mean, of course, obviously that's a second movie question, um, and it's a, it's a, it's going to be an issue with the second movie. And I don't think we've gotten, you know, that uh, Peter Jackson has tipped his hand too much about the second film. So maybe we'll see. You know, when we finally get things like trailers for movie two, we will get some indication of um, of what. Um, <clears throat> Of you know, the, some kind of the, the the focus and interests of the second film, and if they are going to expand in that direction, but mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it is. I, I I'm very curious to see what they do with the with the characters. This is something we're going to return to in a future episode. Sort of the the humor of the Hobbit. I, I think that's yes. been a a major question ever since 
people even started speculating about whether Peter Jackson would do a Hobbit, much less got it confirmed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and, and I think that's tied inextricably to the characterization issues we're talking about here because they're, some of these characters are kind of buffoons or, or goofballs yes. uh, at times. Yeah. And, um, and, it, and it can make it hard to take them seriously as epic characters or heroes or leaders when they behave that way. So I'll be interested to see how they decide to portray that. I mean, I think when you're reading these books, it's it's and you're familiar with Tolkien, it's easy to remind yourself that this is a story being told by Bilbo and that Bilbo certainly Bilbo Bilbo seemed to have a very sort of um uh an interesting sort of way to go about telling stories and looking on things. He's very much a especially sort of post adventure Bilbo. The Bilbo we see at the beginning of the Lord of the Rings is a, a very jovial kind of humorous guy and remember these things fondly. Um uh, and this adventure, not darkly at all. And so it's easy to imagine as you read through this and, it, and when it conflicts with sort of the experience you have with the Lord of the Rings to think, oh, that's Bilbo telling the story the way he would. I think it'll be harder to keep that in mind when we're watching the film. And so I'm I'm very interested right. to see how they handle the, the humor stuff. But we can hit that uh, on a future episode, I guess. Um, yep, <clears throat> yep. Do you want to uh, – are there any other sort of general Thorin things you want to cover, anything maybe about his backstory or anything, or do you want to get on to our prediction of the uh, episode? Well, I mean the the Thorin backstory as differentiated from the Thran and Thror backstory that we've already talked about is actually not all that much other no. than – you know, the fact that he he has some – I mean the thing that he emphasizes, that Thorin emphasizes in Chapter 1 of The Hobbit is that, you know, they have a bit laid by and are not too badly off. That is, they they have established homes. They're not vagabonds. They're not just – you know, they're, they're not living in destitution somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, they have established homes over in the Blue Mountains and they are um, – they are working – you know, they have – been doing blacksmith work and sometimes he says have sunk even to coal mining but but clearly they have kind of worked their way back it's been a long time it's been over 50 years uh since Erebor fell and over the last couple decades they have carved out a niche for themselves and have been doing okay um but still are wanting to return to Erebor of course oh that's another thing i can't believe we haven't mentioned this yet the biggest <laughs> issue the biggest adaptation, and this is like nothing. Uh, this is not a speculation. This is this is uh, this is clear. This was clear the moment they cast Thorin, um, and was one of the most shocking things about it. Thorin is two hundred years old uh, in in the Hobbit. <laughs> that he is an old dwarf. He is he is the oldest dwarf on the entire uh, of the entire party. Significantly, the oldest dwarf. Um, so he should be a white-bearded old dwarf if you were depicting it as it's as Thorin is described in the book. As soon as they announced that they had cast Richard Armitage as uh, as um, as Thorin, and he was one of the only new actors that is obviously not people like Ian McKellen. Um, of all of the new actors that they cast in the movie. Um, he was one of the only ones whose work I had seen quite a bit of before. Um, I haven't gotten around to watching Sherlock yet, though. I'm looking forward to doing so someday. I haven't yet. So I don't, I haven't ever actually seen Martin Freeman. Um, 
but I have seen Richard Armitage. And so I was surprised, very surprised. I was like, why, why, why are we getting a young Studley Thorin? I mean, I can understand they want, you know, they want him to be attractive. They don't want him to just be an old man on screen. Um, but it's a very interesting choice to depict a young, like, you know, if he's going to be like a young, embittered Thorin, it radically alters his character and therefore radically informs his character trajectory than to make him, you know, a, like, stuck-in-his-ways 200-year-old dwarf. That's a interesting point. I hadn't even considered that possibility, but he is supposed to be the older one. Hmm. Yeah, Balin is the second oldest. They've made Balin old. You know, yes. Balin is the white-haired one in in the in in all the images that they've shown, which is accurate. Balin is old and is called old Balin at various points, but Thorin's older, significantly older than Balin. Um, so, mm. so yeah, I mean, that's a it's it's a huge change. But you know, it's kind of interesting. I wonder if it's going to end up being sort of like Frodo. I mean, it was like in 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 the Fellowship of the Ring, one of the biggest changes that they made was making Frodo so young. You know, I mean, he was supposed to be 50 uh, when he went on the quest on the, you know, on when when he took off with the ring. Um, there was a 17 year gap between uh, the 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 long expected party and his departure from the Shire. So and they just they skip that. I mean, it's been it makes they, they make it look like it's been about a week and a half uh, between when Bilbo weaves and when Frodo weaves. Um, so. Uh, but 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 what was interesting, and I remember Philippa Boyens actually commenting on this in the director's commentary on the Fellowship of the Ring, that um, it was one of the though it was one of the biggest changes they made in the adaptation. Almost nobody commented on it. You know, it was something that everybody seemed to just kind of take in stride. Whereas they were, you know, uh, like you know, Tolkien fans were really focused on a bunch of the other changes that were made in the Fellowship of the Ring and scarcely even commented on this one. And I'm kind of wondering if the age of Thorin is going to end up kind of being in that same category for The Hobbit. A, a radical change which, you know, people are just going to kind of swallow and not worry about too much. Right. Yeah, I guess it's 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 sort of it's easy to, to not imagine... I guess the big thing is it's not clear sort of how that will affect his character in the story, you know, like mm -hmm. it, to what what to what degree was his age and his and his, you know, um, position in the world really a, an impact on the story as as you read it through. And it's not clear that it's a huge a, a huge issue that people have his age, you know, in the foremost of their mind as they're reading it. And so I, I, I think the same thing happened with um with uh, Frodo because you're right I didn't notice that until I went back and uh, I'll be honest the first time I saw these films I hadn't read the books in a while and there were a lot of things uh -huh. I didn't catch and it wasn't until subsequent readings of the book and then subsequent viewings of the book that things started driving me nuts I was like oh wait they changed I didn't even notice that the first time <laughs> I'm retroactively offended by that that's right yes <laughs> right. Right. and so um, I wonder if you, the same thing here it's that, that I agree that, that I think this is going to be one of things that's going to pass I, you know i think he did look younger than i expected but it was sort of you kind of just accept that nobody's going to look quite the way you expect because casting right. is is 
casting is difficult and it's also complicated by a lot of external issues that, you know, right. beyond how good a fit for this character is this actor, you know, also right. how many, you know, how well is this character going to appeal to this demographic of the viewing audience? Of course. Of course. <clears throat> yeah. And it, and it yep. seems pretty obvious that they, they, they definitely want these dwarf, dwarf characters, especially the main one, to appear attractive and heroic and sympathetic to uh, the, the popular, you know, watching audience, I think. Right, right. No, exactly. And But this is why what I will be interested in, in seeing is exactly the kind of role that his age plays, if any, in his mm-hmm. in his character development in the film. Uh, to go back to the Frodo uh, instance, I think that we can see in <clears throat> the Lord of the Rings films a fairly significant um, role that Frodo's youth plays in his position and in his character development. I mean, the the story is in in large part, at least a, a large dimension of Frodo's own character trajectory in the Lord of the Rings films is a kind of coming of age thing. He's very young and he's, uh, you know, kind of innocent at the beginning and his loss of his innocence and as well as his own growth and maturity um, is a, is a major is a major part, I think, of what they're doing in the film. And that's one of the consequences of their reducing that, which I think was quite deliberate on their part, that they wanted him to be, you know, sort of young and naive at the beginning of the quest mm-hmm. um, and not be this, you know, sort of staid old bachelor of 50. Um, in the book, it's important because he is very much in a position, not exactly of authority, but he is certainly more wise um, and significantly older than the other hobbits. So he is like clearly the senior hobbit um, of the four. Mm-hmm. And and that's you know as is of course exaggerated by his also being in a master servant relationship with Sam, um, so that really changes the 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 dynamic and of course Frodo's youth has a profound effect on the Frodo Sam dynamic in the films. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I will be interested to see if there is a similar effect. Um, or that is, if they kind of capitalize on that, on the effect of Thorin's youth um, in, a, in a similar kind of way. Because it does, having him be younger, does open up some things to them that they couldn't do if he looked, I was going to say That's if true. he looked 200. I don't know how you look 200. But if, if he looked really old, there would be some things they just couldn't do with his character. They couldn't do some kinds of development. I mean, it could, there couldn't be any kind of a coming-of-age thing to it. Um, because also, this happen. maybe makes the whole Gandalf thing a little it reduces some of the tension there. If if he if he's significantly uh, less experienced, you know, it maybe makes it, yes. it 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 makes it easier to believe that he would just kind of go along with whatever Gandalf said. You know, yes. Probably, I guess we should, in fairness, point out that we actually have no idea, while he looks young, we really have no idea how old he actually is supposed to be. Right, right. Maybe they're doing something funky with sort of the way that, uh, the way that dwarves age, and in particular the way that, um, um, that maybe the, the heirs of Durin, maybe because they are supposed to be particularly long lived, maybe they don't, um, uh, look their age, or maybe he's dying his hair. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm sure that's it. Sure that's it. <laughs> now that would be an interesting dynamic to Thorin's character. Um, 
but uh, but yeah, no, <laughs> <It's> certain vanity. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, you make an excellent point. It's that's where I can, it, it, you know, as soon as you mention that, I can see that really clearly. That's an an inescapable consequence of making him younger is to change the dynamics between him and Gandalf, because then there is no question about the fact that Gandalf is the senior statesman of the two, and then and that even thinking about now just kind of visually picturing that exchange between Gandalf and Thorin in the trailer, there is almost a kind of a, you know, mentor student relationship between them that you could see at least potentially being depicted um, there. Whereas if you depict a white bearded Thorin talking to Gandalf, the two of them are like colleagues. I mean, they would be more, even visually, they would look like peers. Yep. Um, Whereas here, Gandalf, even if Thorin is rebelling against him, even if Thorin, you know, has an attitude and doesn't view him as a mentor or anything, to the audience, it's going to be clear where the wisdom differential is, you know, where where the, you know, how that how that works. So I think that that's going to be whether they make hay out of it or not. That's going to be an impact of having Thorin look younger, significantly younger than Gandalf, um, but. Uh, but we'll see. I mean, I kind of expect them to 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 make hay out of it. As I said, I thought that they actually they 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 did some very interesting and sensitive things with with Frodo yeah. uh, in that way. So I I would kind of expect them to do to to be similarly sensitive to those yeah. dynamics. I, the, the, the the one thing I will say about them is uh, while I while I often find myself disagreeing with decisions, um, not even often, but I I do find myself disagreeing with decisions they make. Very rarely does it seem as though they're making those decisions for no reason. Right. They usually have thought things through quite well, and usually have particular reasons for doing it. And they're nearly always reasons that are that are that you can understand even if you don't accept them. So, right. So, and, uh, and you know, and I, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And 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 I will say those are the only parts of the Lord of the Rings films that annoy me are the places where it seems like where I feel like. That just doesn't seem to to me to have been thought through as well as it should have been. Even places, you know, like the famous example that I've often given is Faramir. As mm-hmm. much as I love Faramir, and as much as I miss the book Faramir when I'm watching the films, <clears throat> you know, the whole like daddy thing that Peter Jackson does with Faramir is really well done. And I think that you know, it's, there's 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 lots of good stuff there. It's thoughtful. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, um, but uh, so yes, so I I, I do also I, I do agree with you and kind of holding out hope that even if even if in the end I would have done it differently and I don't like it, uh, it, it you know I, I do have that kind of respect for them as well. All right, we should probably get to our actual prediction. Yep, because I got to go back to here soon. Um, so our prediction this week is about. Thorin and uh, sort of a, a specific scene thing about Thorin. I was thinking about what uh, you know, sort of some some particular Thorin moments in the book. Uh, wondering if they're going to make it in. And the one I was primarily thinking about was <clears throat> was the was the spiders, the whole Elven King thing. So so <clears throat> why don't we uh, let's see, Dave? Why don't you read the question? And then we can kind of talk about some of the yes. issues involved in the question, and then we'll give our predictions. Yes. So this is a this is a specific scene question, and um, just to let our our listeners uh, in a little bit on the process of choosing these questions, oftentimes we pick the questions 
our, our number one priority with the questions is to pick good questions that make for 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 good sort of objectively measurable uh, predictions where we can actually um, where it's easy to to lay out some different options and answers that people can pick and it will be easier to tell whether we were right or wrong um, we're right. I think even the first two or three questions that we did there's a little ambiguity between some of the answers that make those uh, problematic like some of our some of our people were pointing out that like oh this answer is actually not exclusive mutually exclusive with this answer and it's like ah shoot um so so uh so you know while it would be fun to make predictions about you know various things that we've been talking about with thorin like predicting whether thorin will be portrayed this way or that way uh is not a very good question because it's it will be debatable so right. we're we're really going to try to emphasize as time goes on and we sort of get better at picking these questions emphasize <laughs> questions where we have a specific thing um that and we can and we can come up with specific mutually exclusive answers and then the answers can be easily we can easily judge whether we were right or wrong and so right. that's that was that was the we're trying to experiment this week with a very specific scene uh the question is how is Thorin going to end up in the Elven King's dungeon? And Corey, this was Corey's idea, so he can explain in a second why we're even asking this question. But answer A is just as in the book. If, if um, our listeners recall from the readings of The Hobbit, um, Thorin actually does not get captured by the spiders. He actually is captured by the elves before uh, before we even encounter spiders, and that the dwarves get captured by the spiders, I think, when they're kind of looking for their lost companions. So option A is, just as in the book, he will be taken by the elves prior to the spider conflict. Um, option B is that he will that he will actually be present at the spider fight, um, and that he will be captured with the rest of the dwarves. Um, they won't be separated. And then option C is neither of the above. It will be via some 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 device that we have not yet imagined. Um, and we we expect that maybe our analysts might add a couple of answers to this uh, question uh, as as the weeks go on. So we'll see. But yeah, right yeah, now we'll we see. have just the three. Yeah. And basically, here's here's my thought, which kind of which kind of inspired this question, and that is, it's going to be interesting to leave Thorin out of the spider sequence. I'm I am operating <clears throat> on the following two assumptions about the spider sequence. Assumption number one, the spider sequence will get a good deal of screen time as an epic combat sequence. That's my, that's my uh, uh, assumption number one. Um, my assumption number two is that within that epic battle sequence, which will be the conflict with the spiders on film that I'm assuming is going to happen, I'm also assuming that the dwarves are going to receive a lot more positive screen time than they get in the book. In the books, they don't do very much. I mean, the the spider incident, this is Bilbo's first big Bilbo as hero moment. He is the hero of that entire sequence. The rest of the dwarves do very little. Balin gets some, like, cool moments. Bomber gets another, like, doofus moment. Um, but uh, but actually, that's not quite fair. Um, actually, I think the, interest, the thing with Bomber is kind of a turning... Uh, uh, not quite a turning point, but sort of pointing to a shift in his character in the book at this point. But... That's for another time. Um, however, in general, the dwarves don't do all that much, and what they do is not is not emphasized very much. Whereas Bilbo's actions are all the focus. I am uh, I am 
I guess this isn't an assumption. This is a this is a this is a guess. This is a prediction itself. I would predict that the dwarves are going to get a lot more uh, face time and are going to look a lot more competent during the spider fight sequence. Now, with those two assumptions, with those two premises um, in place, the question that then comes to my mind is. So is Peter Jackson going to actually leave Thorin out of it? If he's going to raise the profile of it, and if he's going to raise the profile of the dwarves within the spider sequence, having Thorin miss out on that is missing out on a lot of opportunity. I mean, it's since the dwarves were kind of as a group are, are like they're the objects. They're the ones being rescued by Bilbo. Whether or not Thorin is included among those people who are rescued by Bilbo is sort of a smaller deal. Um, but in the if if he does expand it, Thorin's absence is really kind of a hole. Uh, that is, it would leave a hole, I think, um, in the experience of the audience. And I could imagine the filmmakers being tempted to have Thorin involved in that uh, in some way, as a, even even if just as a moment in this moment when Bilbo really emerges as a leader among them for the first time, does his first really important and concrete acts of of of, of leadership and heroism. What's Thorin thinking and feeling? You know, what's Thorin doing? Um, and to get that kind of you know the kind of tension and potential rivalry between Thorin and Bilbo. You know, I'm not sure they're going to be able to pass that up. So, so are they going to handle it the same way? So now, I was tempted just to make the prediction question be: Is Thorin going to be there with the spiders or not? Um, but I'd, I'd rather have a multiple choice than just a yes or no question. And it also, this also then opens up how they're going to handle the Elven King sequence. Because of course, another thing which leads me to think that they're going to change this is that you have another duplicate. That is, we get two separate. Uh, captive dwarves standing before the throne of the Elven King and being interrogated by him scenes in The Hobbit. It happens with Thorin at the very end of Chapter 8, and it happens with the rest of the dwarves, with Balin as their spokesman, in Chapter 9. And, you know, they ask him similar questions, and then they throw them all in prison. It's hard for me to imagine them doing... Maybe they will, but it's hard for me to imagine them doing both of those sequences so I can kind of imagine them... You know, maybe they still separate Thorin and single him out and throw him in a separate dungeon or something um, so that nobody knows where he is. But I would think that... I, I could easily imagine those two interrogation before the throne of the Elven King scenes being combined into one. Mm -hmm. um, so as you can probably guess, my prediction is B. Uh, I think that that's where they're going to go with this. But I'm not sure. I mean, I, I could also see, you know, the, 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 the original way it is in the book would also work, and I don't want to close... Uh, and I don't want to be so silly as to suggest that those are the only two possibilities I can imagine, you know, that, that, that they might imagine. So, right. you know. Anyway, so I say B. Interesting. <clears throat> well... I think I'm going to go with A, believe it or not. Really? So, we're back off the same back on different pages again. Well, and 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 we're and we're differing in the sense of of you being more hopeful that they're going to stick to the to the, <laughs> <laughs> to the plot of the book? Yeah. That's new. Well, I I just um I I guess I mean, I I I'll I'm going to also let the listeners in on a little bit of a uh uh a, uh, the way that we approach this show, too, that sort of in general, I think this show is going to be more interesting if we have wide disagreement amongst everyone <laughs> predicting. So, you always like that anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's true. Even, even just, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I love Discord. What can I say? I'm Melkor. <laughs> 
Um, so when I don't have a compelling reason to pick the same answer as you do, like when I don't like like last time with with the Battle of Azanobazar, I just felt felt inextri- like like unavoidably compelled to choose that it would be <laughs> conflated partially. Like I just like I just deep deep in my core, I'm like I'm sure that's how they'll do it. Here I'm not really sure, and so so uh, so my my sort of strategy is to pick different when I don't feel compelled to pick the same. And and I can I could see I I, I you 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 opened the door when you said you could imagine it sort of going variety of ways. I I don't think I see your point about why it would make sense to have Thorne be at this fight, but I think maybe I don't see any reason why he has to be. You know, they could play up his role as a hero during the confrontation with the trolls, and and it looks like they're changing that scene. They're not just yeah, going to have them probably. wander in one at a time and get captured. It looks like they have some sort of <laughs> no. <laughs> yes, it looks like they're going to have the some kind of dwarven mad rush to attack the trolls or something. Uh, yeah, it looks like they're going to make that an actual fight scene, which should be Slightly interesting. Slightly better strategy, you have yes, to admit. Yeah. I, I, so I wonder if then the trolls will be, when the trolls are shouting their, their very very pedantic names, Bill and Tom and whatever whatever they were, yes. I, I, I'm imagining now those trolls shouting that while they're fighting, you know. Oh, wait, watch out, Bill! <laughs> Right, right, but right. I can see Thorin being heroic there. I can see him being heroic in the um, when they're confronting the goblins and the misty mountains, all these things. And so I can imagine them deciding like let's let's kidnap Thorin out of this scene, have the dwarves follow the book sort of uh, roughly, and then maybe by the time that we get to the Elven King's dungeons. Uh, or, or, you know, to the Elven King's halls, maybe they haul Thorin along with the other dwarves in front of him. And they're like, oh, look, there's Thorin. Um, and Thorin's like, yeah, they got me first or something. So right, right. so I don't uh, – I think – I'm not really sure. And so I think I'm going to go with A, that his his capture will go along the same way, and then maybe they'll start making changes when we're actually at the Elven King's halls. Okay. Okay. Well, I think you're wrong, but uh, that's a very interesting perspective. I think <laughs> I think it could work. I just like I think that 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 potential for, you know, the moment where like we get the looks of you know Thorin looking over you know in envy at Bilbo as Bilbo is sort of establishing himself and everybody everybody looking at uh, at, at at Bilbo for leadership and Thorin kind of trailing along behind. You know, there's a lot of possibilities for for building tension there which that is uh, that is an excellent point so you know but we'll see we'll see i mean there are also, there's also plenty of potential to do that elsewhere so maybe maybe but all right <clears throat> well i gotta run but yep. uh this has been uh this has been another fun episode and uh i'm looking forward to seeing it air well in several weeks actually um but uh anyway anyway so thank you guys as, uh, as always for your comments and your uh, questions and suggestions uh keep those coming and we look forward to continuing to expand the conversation as the weeks go on thanks for listening everybody and godspeed <laughs>